0: Broad's Cambridge chapter launch set out to develop leadership skills amongst professional women and to celebrate the progress of women in the university in this Cambridge's 800th anniversary year. So what exactly is 85 Broads? No, the Broad's word does not refer to women, but to the address in New York where Janet Hansen first had her eureka moment to set up a network which now boasts... 20,000 trailblazing women in business worldwide. She was then working for Goldman Sachs. Janet Hansen. I felt so lucky that I had
1: had the most extraordinary career, and I mean really extraordinary. Um, And and I was so jazzed and so excited about what we were building. And um, when I left, um, I thought to myself, how do I... How do I make sure that other women who are coming up the ladder know how much fun it is? So how do they how do they continue to be excited and inspired? Um, and so that was really the purpose of 85 Broad's, which was to feed you know all of that excitement and inspiration. It wasn't just that women left you know maybe never to be seen or heard from ever again. It was really to cheer from the sidelines. That was really the whole. Um, you know the the real impetus behind 85 broads, which is there are lots of women out there, you know, who want you to succeed, who've been in your shoes, who then went on to build a career, and maybe now are doing other things. Um, but it was it was really just to make sure that they knew that there were, you know, that
0: they were really supported. The O word for ordinary does not apply to Janet and her associates. Indeed, they like to point out that overcoming adversity. Fear of failure and finding the resources to just plough on and be tough enough for the job in hand is what distinguishes their success from that of others around them. For instance, who else would tell their professor that if they were failed in their exam, they would write a suicide note naming him? Well, Janet, it seems. Some might call it Brassneck gall. Janet again. I think what I proved...
1: Um, was that success is not necessarily based on grades. Uh, and so while I did not distinguish myself academically at Columbia Business School, um, I got great training, and I knew that if I went into a career path that really, um, you know, really leveraged my client and sales skills... That I was going to be extremely successful, and I absolutely passionately believe that I had the skill set, the raw skill set, to succeed. Maybe not the grades, but definitely the skill set.
0: And you did just reflect a little on your family background to say what made you succeed in sales and finance when others might not have dared to tread there.
1: Um, I think I would attribute it very much to being, of all things, um, the middle child of three children, were only a year apart. Um, So I wasn't the oldest, and I wasn't the youngest. I was smack in the middle. And so I think I always had to figure out ways um, to kind of differentiate myself. And um, I made that sort of a lifelong pursuit, which is, you know, what is it about me that really differentiates me from others? And so I spent a great deal of time studying people who were successful because I wanted to understand the attributes of of what it takes to be successful from all different fields, from all different walks of life.
0: Janet Hansen's own success story has had its ups and downs over the years and she has gone on to run her own milestone capital management company. Mentors, she says, have played an important role in her success and most of those colleagues have been men. For
1: me to start at Columbia Business School at the age of 22, to be a full-time associate at Goldman at the age of 24, allowed me to make a lot of mistakes early in my career. Um, and so I think I had a tremendous advantage. Um, I was also young enough and naive enough um, to, to, to think it was okay to uh, to make mistakes that I could recover from that. Um, I wasn't so set in in sort of whatever the, you know, sort of the you know the the visual was of, of what success meant. I just said if I go in there and I prove myself and I do a great job, they're probably going to let me stay. And so I had sort of an adventurous spirit when I went in.
0: And, and that adventurous spirit actually um, allowed men to warm to you. And it was men who you were men, who were your mentors who brought you forward.
1: Yes, um, I think again because of where I worked at Goldman Sachs, because I was on a trading floor. Um, I was in very close proximity and so could learn the language of the trading floor. Um, I didn't need somebody to translate for me. Middle child stuff again. Yes. And so I I, I really think that I was at a significant advantage um, to be able to learn from the people sitting around me. And I was on on a sales desk with people who were significantly more senior than I was, but within earshot. So I actually believe that I succeeded at a much more rapid pace because I had access to these
0: amazing individuals. So why is 85 Broads such an important network today? And what will the Cambridge chapter contribute to those who join it? In many, many ways, 85 Broads was probably too exclusive.
1: Um, It was, uh, you know, the affinity... Was Goldman Sachs. You either worked there or you had worked there, um, and I think what was so exciting um, about opening 85 Broads up as a network to other incredibly talented, trailblazing, super smart women um, was that smart women can do a lot of really amazing things together. And I think the um, the thing that came as a surprise to Goldman Sachs um, because remember we launched 85 Broads.com in in late 1999, and the question from a person on the management committee was, who let her do that? And they were asking the right question, which is, but she's not in the building anymore. She doesn't work here anymore. So how can she be starting a network for ex-Goldman women? Okay, they got that, but current Goldman women as well. And I think that was really when the firm really started to understand the power of the internet Um, and that we were going to build sort of what we called our cyber clubhouse, you know, in a way that allowed women to benefit from having this relationship outside of the confines of 85 Broad Street.
0: Lena Henry is an associate principal in McKinsey & Company's London office. She's aware that as a successful young
2: business leader, her age is often held against her. Lena. I always remember myself not to be obsessed by my age. So the first thing is I try to forget about the things that make me different from the people I work with and I work for. Um, the fact that I'm a young woman and also a non-native speaker are things that are obvious to them, but I try to forget about it. And then the second thing is I just try to be as professional as I can be and just do the, the best job I can. And for clients that mean you know, really having their best interests in mind and doing, you know, getting the best of my team, so we can deliver what they are looking for.
0: Lena also recruits for McKinsey at a European level. So, what advice would she give to those sending out their CVs during
2: the current recession? For me, I think the glasses have full. Um, even though they might have a hard time believing it, when I look back at when I graduated five years ago from my business school, at the time. N- there were so many opportunities out there in terms of banking and consulting that no one—we didn't even ask ourselves the right questions about what we really wanted to do in life. The fact that today there's so actually a lot fewer jobs out there, and definitely a lot of fewer jobs in banking and consulting, mean that these women they have to ask themselves the right questions, and really ask themselves what they really, really want to do when they grow up. And in a way, that's more of a luck than anything.
0: Well, it is luck, and it's almost like a big sorting out, because you've got to be task-focused, you've got to think strategically what you want to do, you've got to get over all this rejection of actually not even not getting the job, but your CV not being acknowledged in, in some cases. You must have lots of women uh, in general, but also at this conference, just coming up and saying, what can I do? What can you do to help me? What tip would ensure that my CV gets looked at?
2: So the first thing I would say is they're, they're in the best environment to be having those conversations because they have the time to think. They have a network of peers and of professors that they can reach out to to discuss you know, like the ups and downs of the job of the current interview process. I think in terms of advice, don't, don't discourage and keep on trying it. Don't take rejections personally. The fact that some places are hiring a lot fewer people than they did last year It has nothing to do with the intrinsics of some of the women that are applying. So don't take the rejections personally and keep going at it.
0: Do you think, in in terms of there being three levels, women in business and, and the business promoting women or equality, women in their home life and actually just have an extraordinary ability to be versatile, to be adaptable, to create creative CVs, or at a national and strategic level where you have an equality act, say, promoting equality in a society. If you had to choose from that menu of what makes women successful, is it all three, a bit of both or just luck?
2: Would it make some specific women successful or would it make women in general successful? Well, let's first of all start with specific women. Um, I think actually the research that McKinsey conducted you know, when we interviewed a whole bunch of very successful women leaders shows that there are some common traits. It's not just luck. There are some common traits that these women exhibit that make them successful as they are. And these common traits are you kind know, of meaning. Usually successful women leaders do something that they really truly, truly believe in. And you know the, the ability to convey that meaning to the people they work with is a common trait that we found among all of them. And then what about then women in general? And, uh, some research that we looked at actually shows that women in general have different leadership traits than men have, meaning like some of the women in general tend to be better at pulling people together, at teamwork, at consensus-driven decision-making. And in some organizations, these leadership traits traits are actually what makes the whole difference. But in all organizations, these traits in combination with men's most frequent leadership traits, it's what really makes organizations successful. And that's why you can see that if you look at companies that are high-performing companies, they tend to have a diverse... a lot of different, more than one gender at the board. Do you believe that?
0: Because there's different research that shows different things. For instance, if we'd had women in the board or more women in the boardrooms, could we have stopped all this sort of gazumping in the financial markets? Do women have these abilities to be mellow and and bring teams together or are they hard-headed and tough enough? But actually, the the research always seems to to come out rather
2: um, on the sidelines. It doesn't prove one thing or the other. I disagree about this. So I can't obviously. I'm not saying that if, some, if there had been more women in the board of financial companies, we wouldn't be where we are today. Because nobody can prove this. But what I can say is, when you look at companies and identify, like, you know, segment the companies that have better women representation in their boards, on average, these companies tend to perform better in terms of market share and share price. Diversity in the boardroom is important, says Lena,
0: but that doesn't necessarily mean positive discrimination is a good thing. Lena,
2: again. I agree about the end goal. I disagree about the approach to get there. If I look at, I'm French, if I look at the example in France of forcing some quotas into kind of local politics, I think it has exactly the wrong, the wrong effect and actually turns into you know, people doubting whether some women actually deserve to be there in the first place. So I absolutely agree with the end goal of having just better diversity at the board of companies. I disagree about the idea of forcing quotas. If you had to give your tips to to these young women starting out, one, the
0: 85 Broads networking event today has been hugely successful, what should they leave here and do to get on the right career paths?
2: Okay, so I would first tell them to not doubt themselves and to always look back at the things that they've done and where they've been successful in their lives. And to ask for help. Women, on average, are more reluctant to ask for help. But I would say... tell the women, you know, think about the people that you know that can actually help you, that can actually influence things for you, and just ask for help. At a time when many graduates
0: and postgraduates may feel fearful about launching themselves into the job market during a global recession, those talks and seminars delegates attended were empowering. Professor Sri Kumar Rao had some tips for those who wanted to put happiness to the top of their agenda.
3: The only person that can make you happy is yourself. But what I can do is share some immensely powerful tools and techniques that help grease the skids if it were.
0: And what would those techniques be? If I was a young MBA business student wanting to pursue a career, could we start with happiness equating with me pursuing the right career in the first place?
3: I think business school students obsess all too much about finding the right job. and their model typically is if I had this, and this is defined in terms of here's where I want to work, this is the kind of boss I want to have, this is how much money I want to make, this is how much travel I want to do. And if all of this came together, then I would be passionate about the job. What they don't recognize is that passion does not exist in the job. it exists in themselves. And if they can't ignite it right where they are, they are not going to find it outside. But the funny thing is, they can ignite it right where they are, and when they do, they literally transform not only the job, but all of their external circumstances. So the way you start manifesting change outside is by bringing it out between their own ears. And that's what I demonstrate in my programs.
0: Professor Rao has come up with some concepts and tips for a programme that he says is positively life-enhancing. It's all about changing the way we think. Professor Rao...
3: Recognise that your mental chatter has trapped you in a matrix... And you don't have to be trapped in that matrix because that is a construct. And once you recognize that the world you're living in is a construct, it's very liberating because you can deconstruct the parts of it that are not working and build it up again. And if it doesn't work a second time, then you simply turn it down and build it up again. So you have an infinite number of degrees of freedom. Whereas if you're stuck in the reality, then that's the end, grin and bear it. But what you're living in is a reality. That's wonderful.
0: So it's the prisoner who doesn't know he's in a prison until he opens the door.
3: Tries to open the door, exactly correct.
0: Uh, Let's go through a second point now. You said mental models uh, and, and thinking through your career in terms of mental models. That can be a useful analytical tool in your career.
3: Oh, it's a tremendously useful analytical tool. When you recognize that what you're a prisoner of is a a reality that you have constructed using your mental models, that gives you enough uh, positive energy to go and say, "Okay, let me look at which of my models are not serving me well. And you can change them. And as you change them, your life changes.
0: And you talked of us living thirdly in a me-centric universe You know, it's it's all about me and what we do. So so is that a good thing or a bad thing?
3: Uh, It's neither. When you live predominantly in a me-centered universe and the me you're focusing in is a small me, you know, I want more, more power, more money, better-looking spouse, bigger house, better car, uh, then you are simply laying yourself open to angst, depression, rejection, all of the things that make life terrible. But the moment you start, step out of that and become a part of a cause which is bigger than you are, then even if you're living in a me-centered universe, you're not living in the small me, you're living in a bigger collective me, what is it that I can do to make our condition better? And that is a first step towards living the kind of life I described earlier, where you f- truly feel fulfilled and blessed.
0: And give this some thought too. For anyone who has failed at any of those well-intended New Year's resolutions, Professor Rao says the profound behavioural change is not brought about by effort of will alone. That, he says, is violence to yourself.
3: It's very difficult to bring it, out, bring it about by effort of will. And when you do, there are generally side effects that you would rather not uh, have happen.
0: And so join a group join a team, get out?
3: Uh, All of those things are helpful, but it's much better to change your mental models, the ones which lead you into the kind of behavior that you want to change. And when you do that, all of a sudden you find that you no longer have to try to change your behavior, the change happens automatically.
0: You also have to think about your outcomes, don't you? You have to think strategically sure. about where you want to be on the field yes. before you set out. Sure. And, 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 but not everybody's capable of strategic thought, are
3: they? Uh, I think the vast majority of people, certainly the kind of persons in the forums I talk to, are fully capable of that. And yes, you do have to think about strategic outcomes and you do gear your actions to achieve those strategic outcomes. What I'm advocating is that you don't hit your well-being to the achievement of a particular outcome. If you can, wonderful. If you don't, still wonderful. So that way it doesn't matter. You can't win. They're winning or losing doesn't matter. Every, you know, The journey is all there is and every day is a blast. So life is, life is just a beautiful, you know, it's a joy.
0: But well, while those might be good tips for changing our individual behaviour collective groupthink is important too. Networking groups like 85 Broads and Judge Business School's Women in Leadership Conference can help give that collective group motivation. Jess Price-Jones is CEO of EyeOpener. She says we can all set our goals a
4: lot higher. I started my career in the city, and that was back in the 80s when Mrs Thatcher was Prime Minister. And I absolutely knew that I was one of those women who could have it all, and I've spent my entire life trying to do just that.
0: What about tips for women of today, then? Because it's very much women who are graduating from business schools like the judge are going into an economic environment that is tough. Do you see their glass as being half empty or half full?
4: I'm a huge optimist, and so I always think that downtown brings its own opportunities And I think that women are particularly well situated for that. We really know about how to do service. We really know about keeping clients happy. And that's an enormous strength that that women bring in the first place. And I think in the second, women are hugely creative. And you put a few together, um, you'll get an an immense unleashing of power and capability and ideas. So I think this downturn could bring about some really successful new businesses for women.
0: So don't worry too much if you send off your CV, you hear companies in the city are laying off people and you don't get a reply.
4: I'd send my CV again. And I think the other thing to tell women right now is read the Financial Times as if you're looking for a job. Because lots of people, putting a job, let's face it, into the FT costs money. But when you read it, a new office is opening or a new position is coming along. That is you can read as a job advert who put, whose name is
0: there and send your CV to them ring them up bang on the door and shout i'm here Jess likes her all female management team and says the alpha males they work with like it too because one balances the other Jess again they were the best of the bunch
4: and so i mean i like to work with people who are good and it just happened that they were women it's it's not for lack of looking for men we had two men who wanted to join us but actually they weren't going to be appropriate for us and so Uh, we didn't we didn't pursue that one
0: was it gimmicky or is it gimmicky or do you think you get real uh, revolution in all women management teams people in, in the panel today were relating the economic crisis if we'd had women in the boardroom would it have been as bad did the men just gazump and go for it would the women have been a moderating influence do you think any of those questions lead anywhere in terms of better management of business
4: For me, management is about trying to do the right thing in the right place at the right time with the right resource, regardless of gender. So on our management team, we've got someone who's a a, a banker, ex-CEO, a chunk of Royal Bank of Scotland, someone who's come out of education, and then there's me with my background, uh, which is slightly hodgepodge, but I think it's, it's the mix and the understanding of you know, what client needs are and how to remain agile. And I do think that women are very good at the agility bit.
0: So is gender diversity in the workplace a good thing? Will it improve profit margins? And what about government-inspired attempts to improve diversity through mechanisms like Britain's new equality bill? Jess thinks every bit of incentive helps. I'm sure that legislation helps, but I think that culture as a bigger...
4: Uh, impact and, and that's a longer that's a slower burn for example I was doing some work in Dubai and working with a woman who's a CEO of an investment bank that she started in real estate business she needs to get permission to leave the country from her husband to go on a business trip and when she goes to the airport the first document that she has to show is the hus- her husband's permit to travel and she was saying you know imagine how humiliating this is for me so that's not going to change Fast in that particular culture. Uh, So I think that cultural um, sensibilities and difficulties are a bigger hurdle.
0: But positive discrimination like Britain's Equalities Act or some that you've got in Europe will facilitate that change?
4: I hope so. Although I personally would never feel I wanted a seat at the table because I was a token woman. Uh, I've been in that situation and it's very uncomfortable... Uh, it's it's I want to be there because i 'm good and I deserve to be there, not because somebody said you take a box.
0: What about the F word, feminism? Do you think that helps women stand up for one another, perhaps in workplaces where there aren't a lot of women? That makes a big difference, doesn't it? You know, if you're in there alone and and it's only the blokes, you know, um, and the blokes all talk to one one another, you know, informally in various situations. But but women, women won't then be able to develop that informal network. So perhaps saying, I'm a feminist or I belong to the 85 broads network helps.
4: I'm a huge feminist. I'm a big feminist because for me, feminism is about uh, equal pay, uh, equal opportunities, uh, equal uh, seat at the table. You know, it's it's for me that's what feminism is. It's, It's it's nothing more, nothing less. And I think that for me. I really want that for my daughter. I haven't achieved it for myself and I think we're part of a deluded generation (laughs) thinking that it was. I didn't realise that it wasn't equal actually until I went into my first boardroom uh, and uh, was spoken to as if I was the secretary when I in fact was not. Um, (laughs) My boss was fantastic actually. He said don't make them a cup of coffee I'll make the coffee for you.